There is a saying in the Irish language, Molanoiga, agus chakishi. It means, praise youth, and it will thrive. But there are some who do the very opposite, who strip a young person of all their chances in life until nothing remains. Welcome to Creepycast, your occasional source of helpless desperation. My name is Pather O'Gillian. You can find out more about me at pather.org, which is really pedar.org, P-E-A-D-A-R dot O-R-G. You'll know me by the fact that I'm the only one there. But you can also find me on Instagram and Twitter, and there I am, at the call Y. A. I always said I would do between six and eight episodes of this podcast. But now that we've made the half dozen, my confidence of hitting the upper end of that range is growing. Hooray! If you are equally confident, feel free to leave me an absolutely blistering, glowing, lovely, gorgeous review on iTunes or anywhere really anywhere at all. Today's story is The Drain. It was originally published in an anthology put out by the iconic Weird Tales magazine. Let's just get started. The Drain. Not even this rain, pounding, battering at the rooftops, can block the sound of fire alarms. Little Paula looks through her window to the house across the street, smouldering again from its fourth lightning strike in a month. It's a small, two up, two down, and a man cowers before it, weeping, his singed dressing gown sodden in the downpour. Poor Mr Sweeney, Paula thinks. Mammy, says he is a bad man. That's why his face looks like a pumpkin. That's why he limps everywhere and has broken shoes. Mammy says he drinks too much. Mr Sweeney climbs to his feet and turns to the other houses in the estate. He shouts, Why will none of ye help me? His accent belongs far to the north of here. His face is a scary mask. Nobody answers. They never have before. He is a bad man. His house is burning down and not even this rain can stop it. Looking around wildly, Mr Sweeney spots another lonely figure watching him from near the estate entrance. Paula sees him too and gets excited because this second man is wearing a long coat and a cowboy hat, like in those detective movies Daddy likes. Will you call me the fire brigade? pleads Mr Sweeney. But the detective has better things to do, and strides away into the night. In 1958, when his mother died, Dermot went to live on the farm with Huey. 
His uncle was a tall man, broad in the shoulders, who had been through as much suffering as Dermot had in the last few years, if not more. It didn't show in the man's face, however, and a firm hand on the shoulder told Dermot all he needed to know. Don't cry there, boy. You'll be me own son and I'll be your daddy, OK? We'll be pals. To prove it, Huey gave Dermot a little Celtic medallion, the sort tourists bought, with a leather strap and a spiral design. I, it's not much, said Huey. But my Mary wore that, and you were always her favourite. And Huey seemed so happy to see Dermot carry it, that the boy swore to himself he would never take it off again. He liked it anyway. Liked the way the stone tingled against his skin. Dermot laboured on the farm throughout that summer. He had worked in the country many times, but Mammy's death had affected him terribly and he was clumsier now than ever before. He dropped buckets on his toes, slipped in cowpats and bumped his head on beams that were always lower than they had appeared. Huey did not hold this awkwardness against him. I can afford a wee spillage, he'd say when pails went flying. Then he would laugh and swig some whisky straight from the bottle. Huey was a demon for the drink. He could never let it lie as long as there was a drop to be had. And yet, his hands never shook, and his farm, in spite of Dermot's mishaps, stood out as a miracle of prosperity in the depressed Donegal of the 1950s. We don't begrudge him it, a neighbour told Dermot once. He lost three wee boys to accidents and a wife all gone to nothing with grief. No, you'll not find any jealousy here. That poor man has had a wild bad time of it, so he has. But such pity did not extend to Dermot. On the first day of school, boys he thought of as friends surrounded him on the way home and smashed his nose with a rock. He tried to curl into a ball away from the pain. His hand found the little medallion, and even as they pulled his head back for another blow, the charm grew almost hot enough to burn. Uncle Huey tended to Dermot's injuries as gently as any mother. He gave his nephew a slug of his precious whisky and put the boy straight to bed. Around midnight, Dermot woke again, feeling strange. He touched his hand to his chest. The medallion. It was missing. Oh, sacred heart, he thought. Uncle Huey will be wild upset if I can't find his wee stone for him. And Huey had enough to worry about in those days as it was. TB had ravaged half the herds in the county, and now some of his finest heifers seemed to be coming down with it too. If the Department of Agriculture found out, they would slaughter every cow on the farm. Dermot 
staggered out of bed, still woozy from the whisky. He looked out the window towards the barn where a light flickered. Even now, Huey must be tending to his animals. But Dermot's eyelids began to droop again of their own accord. He lay down, intending to get back up to help his uncle. But when he reopened his eyes, daylight filled the room. He reached up to his chest and found the medallion right where it should be. Maybe he had only dreamt it had been missing. Good news, said Uncle Huey, stepping into the room with breakfast. He did not look like a man who hadn't slept in two days. He looked wonderful. And why not? Something amazing had happened. The cows had all recovered during the night. They'd even regained the weight they'd lost over the past week. Something Dermot refused to believe until he had seen it with his own eyes. Ah, Huey, he said to his uncle, you really are a miracle worker. Aye, son, and the big man puffed up his chest. That I am. After the fire engines leave, Paula crosses the road. She's not sure if it's for pity or for a chance later to tell her friends how brave she was. She carries an apple and a cup of water for Mr Sweeney. Mammy would be angry, but she is looking after the new baby and Daddy is still at work. The man is surprised to see her at first. But then he shakes his head and sneers. Someone put you up to this. He's holding a full bottle of tea-coloured juice. Paula thinks it must be whisky. His blackened Halloween face squints up and down the road. But there's nobody to be seen between here and the clock tower where children are running around. Paula gets a sudden feeling that she should be with them, that she's about to become one of those little girls in the stories about talking to strangers. This fear increases when Mr Sweeney grimaces through a nightmare of smashed teeth. What you got there? he asks. I... an apple. You looked hungry. And a cup of water. She lifts up her offerings and is surprised to see his hands are shaking even more than hers. Careful, he whispers. Careful now. His bedtime clothes are a mess. He is wearing a little medallion with a spiral on it next to his skin. He reaches for the cup, but it breaks in his hands as he tries to lift it to his mouth. Mammy's good cup! He seems as upset as Paula is, even though he's the one who broke it. Next, he takes the apple. He bites into it in evident relief, the juice running down his chin. He eats the whole thing in three bites. But then he doubles over, grabbing at his neck. He's making an awful choking sound, and Paula... Eyes wide, begins stepping backwards slowly. Mr Sweeney 
falls to his knees, causing the medallion to swing away from his chest. A cough, and the man can breathe again. The child doesn't wait for the blame that must surely be coming. She is a good girl. She runs home. The neighbours admired Huey as much for his health as his farm. He must be fifty by now, said one old man. I remember him getting married in Milford the same week our Paddy was making his communion. Uncle Huey looked like a man in his prime, strong as a bull, his hair soot black. Dermot, however, was plagued by accidents. Once, a previously tranquil animal gored him almost fatally. A month later, a car he should have heard threw him into a ditch and smashed his legs. On these occasions, the medallion grew hot about his neck, but he was always in way too much pain to think about it. After every mishap, Uncle Huey would care for him with great tenderness. There, me boy, me wee son, there. He would treat Dermot with whisky until he passed out, and then the medallion would disappear for a few days. By the time Dermot was back on his feet, Uncle Huey would have acquired a new piece of land, or the cows would have successfully calved every one of them with twins, or even triplets, and all of them healthy. Cows never have triplets, Dermot said one time when he came home from the hospital. Mine do, laughed Huey. His teeth shone purest white. I'm the best dairy farmer in all of Donegal, so I am. That you are, said Dermot. And it's not just cows you know how to milk, is it? What are you talking about, boy? Huey's forehead was wrinkled with concern. But they were the only wrinkles on that fifty-year-old face. Dermot felt sick, dizzy, and above all, lonely for what he would have to do next, because in spite of the accidents, he'd always felt happy on the farm. He'd felt loved and wanted. Tears stung his eyes as he threw the medallion to the ground and ran out of the farm and all the way up to the road. He had one leg shorter than the other from the time the car had struck him. But he didn't trip once on the way. Not once. It was all the proof he needed. He was sixteen years old by then, with the body of an old man and the face of a boxer who didn't know when to quit. Few were they who could look at him without wincing. Paula goes to the shop for Mammy to buy bread. There might be change. Not that Paula would steal it. But perhaps Mammy wouldn't mind if she got a few sweets or some of the new pony cards. Her parents never buy her pony cards and her friend Lisa is already filling her second book of them. But today there is not enough money left over. She looks longingly up at the sweet counter where the cards rest in little packs of five 
Every one contains a stick of pink chewing gum and a folded sheet of ponytails. She clutches the loaf of bread, wondering if it's too big, if Mammy would prefer a smaller one. And then, with the change, Paula could... Here we, girl, says a soft voice behind her. The accent is like Mr Sweeney's, but sweeter, kinder. She turns to find a tall man standing there. I saw you before, she blurts out. Last night, this man was watching Mr Sweeney's burning house from the estate entrance. You're a detective, she adds. His smile grows larger. He holds his cowboy hat scrunched up in one hand. The other is behind his back. Now he brings it round to the front and, oh, her heart skips a beat as she spies a fist of glistening pony packs. She hesitates, knowing she shouldn't, knowing she can't. Any moment now the tears will come. It's okay, says the detective, his smile the brightest thing in the shop. You're a good girl. That decides her. It's only the truth, after all, the one she longs to hear at home, but hasn't since the new baby was born. And he's a detective. He won't hurt her. But he pulls back his hand when she reaches for her prize. There's just one thing I want, he says. His smile hasn't slipped an iota. Paula is terrified, certain she's about to have her dream snatched away. But it's not such a hard thing the detective asks for in the end. Not at all. All he wants is to meet her friend from across the road, Mr Sweeney. Dermot ran away to Dublin. He heard nothing more of his uncle, until one day, decades later, the paper carried the obituary. They were going to auction off Huey's worldly possessions. He had faded away when the banks foreclosed on the farm, an old and friendless man. Like me, Dermot thought. Except that someone had paid to have Huey's death notice printed, and this was likely more than anybody would ever do for him. He travelled to Letterkenny and purchased the cheap-looking medallion for a single euro, complete with strap. I don't know why you bothered with that rubbish, said the auctioneer's secretary as she handed it over. She kept her eyes on the pendant and away from his face. It's for luck, he said. Like a rabbit's foot? He looked into the spiral, not sure if he knew the answer to her question. The lines of the pattern were so fine, it seemed to spin before his eyes. It was like the whirlpool in the bath that time he had tried to kill himself, sucking his lifeblood down the drain. Except this drain sucked in luck instead of blood, and there must be a way to get it out again. How else had Huey performed his miracles? Dermot's heart quickened as he imagined finding a way to reverse the current. But the whole idea was absurd. 
he'd had a terrible life and it was easier to accuse cheap jewellery than accept his own failings. And yet, if it were true, he saw himself sauntering out of a bookies with a fist full of money. He saw promotions at work. He saw a woman who could look at him with love and happy children who would never suffer as he had done. On the bus back to Dublin, he daydreamed these scenes. When more passengers boarded at Monaghan, he watched them pass one by one, thinking of ways to trick them into wearing the pendant for him. The last to be helped aboard was a sweet little boy, his face shining with innocence and hope. Self-disgust flooded Dermot. Nobody should suffer for another's greed. Nobody. He would wear the medallion himself. For a year, he decided. He would steal his own worthless luck and spend it later. If only he could figure out how to do that. If only he had not imagined the whole thing in the first place. Carefully, he removed the trinket from an inside pocket normally reserved for whiskey. He put it on so that the stone nestled against the skin of his chest. It tingled just as he remembered. And half an hour later, a swerve of the bus caused a bag to slide from the rack to smack him in the face. From then on, he had no peace. Awful things happened as he knew they would. Physical injuries, emotional hurts, chronic illnesses that grew worse the longer he kept the charm against his skin. Even when he wasn't wearing it, he wasted entire days and weeks trying to harvest some element of good fortune from it. He made exact copies of the pendant, had them blessed or cursed or dipped in holy water, all to no avail. Once, he even considered swallowing the stone, but the thought terrified him. It would be like wearing the thing forever with never a chance of removing it. Nothing could be more horrific. As time went by, he began to notice a mysterious figure following him from a distance. A man in a long coat and hat. There was something familiar in the stranger's carriage, something Dermot could not put his finger on, but which sent chills up his spine. He became more desperate than ever to find a way of exploiting all the luck he was storing up, and by now there was plenty of it. He lost a finger while carving yet another copy of the medallion. He was confused with a famous criminal, and even when the matter was cleared up, he had been thrown out of work. His house was constantly struck by lightning, constantly catching fire. Many times he had to save himself at the last instant by removing the medallion and resorting to a fire extinguisher. But then one night, with rain that should have been strong enough to quench a volcano, all his fire alarms went off at once, and only his rotten luck allowed him to escape with his life. 
That was the last straw. He decided then and there to take the monstrous thing out into the country and bury it deep. Maybe he would smash it up first, crush it to powder so that nobody could find it by mistake. But when he stumbled outside in his dressing gown, he saw the stranger again, waiting at the estate entrance in the rain. Dermot had called out to him for help, but the man swung around and sauntered off, and it was then that Dermot realised the truth. Uncle Huey, he whispered. Oh, you're such a good boy, says Mammy, such a good boy. Paula has come home to drop in the bread. She sees the new baby has pooped himself again. It's a mystery why that should make Mammy cheerful. Paula always uses the toilet, and nobody notices, except for those nights when she doesn't wake up in time to go. When that happens, even Grandad gets to hear about it. She knows she should mention the detective and the pony cards she'll be getting. But the new baby needs all of Mammy's time. So Paula takes an apple and goes out to the estate entrance, where the detective is waiting for her. For a moment, she wonders why the man needs her to go with him. A terrible thought strikes her. You're not going to arrest him, are you? she asks. Mr. Sweeney is a bad man who broke Mammy's cup. But it was Paula who gave him the cup in the first place. Maybe she should go to prison too. The detective's lovely smile tells her everything is okay. She remembers the pony cards and smiles too. They walk over the street to the ruined, stinking house. And Paula calls for Mr. Sweeney to come out, saying she has another apple for him. Crashing sounds emerge from within, and the detective's hand on her shoulder tells her how pleased he is with her. The bad man trips at the door, blinking, still in his dressing gown, the bottle of whiskey clutched in his hand. Only a few swallows remain at the bottom of it. Oh, he says, not surprised at all to see who's there. He flops onto the wet ground and sets the bottle down beside him. It totters a little, but does not fall over. His face screws up so that Paula can almost imagine him as a little boy about to cry. She feels sorry for him all over again. Did you ever wonder, says the detective, why whiskey is the only thing you can drink without spilling a drop? Because it's poison, says the defeated Mr. Sweeney. The detective nods. Aye, good. You were always a smart boy. I have pulled that charm from the dead necks of heroes and warriors. Unlike you, they never saw what was happening until it was too late and yet, here you are wearing it for me again. Not so smart after all. 
I'm wearing it for me. I have finally figured out the best use for it. The detective laughs. Oh, I doubt that. You're no druid. You don't know the prayers. You don't know which animal's blood to sprinkle over it or how you must hold it in your hands as you call on gods whose names you have never even heard. Now, enough of this. You have your bargaining chip, and as you can see, Paula feels his hand squeezing her shoulder reassuringly. I have mine. Mr Sweeney looks at Paula with horror on his face. You wouldn't. She's only a... Then he collects himself, and his voice regains some of its strength. I could throw it in the river, he says. You would never find it. I always find it. Mr Sweeney reaches shakily for the bottle, but the detective snatches it away and empties the last few swallows in a single gulp. He laughs. Then he reaches across and rips the strap from Mr Sweeney's neck. Paula is frightened by the sudden violence. She wants to leave. It feels different, says the detective, puzzled. He stumbles, perhaps from the effect of the whisky. It doesn't tingle, he says. It's just a copy I made, says Mr Sweeney calmly. The original is gone. Don't play games, says the detective. I know it's near. I can sense it. He reaches wildly for Mr Sweeney, perhaps to strike him. But he trips over the bottle and falls flat on his face. Pony packs scatter everywhere. Oh God, the detective whispers. He is even more frightened than Paula. She can hear it in his voice. She scoops up the pony packs as quickly as she can. Where is it? says the detective. His voice rises to a shriek. Where is it? The whiskey bottle is still spinning from when he tripped over it. Paula sees a grey residue along the bottom of the glass, as if somebody put powder in there. She doesn't care what has happened to the stone or what the powder might be. She runs home with her treasure, desperate to lose herself in Ponyland. She glimpses the detective running out of the estate, sees his coat catch on something and rip. He's still wailing, throwing his head from side to side like a cow trying to shake off flies. Overhead, the clouds are boiling. It looks like lightning again tonight. The end. There you go. So you should probably be kind to young people. One way of being kind to them would be to buy them a copy of The Call. They'll thank you for it. Probably by running away to join the circus. But at least you'll know you meant well. Or maybe sod them. Sod them all and be kind to yourself instead. And buy yourself a copy of my short story collection on Kindle. Forever in the memory of God and other stories. Or maybe do none of those things. 
Have a rest. Relax. And wait for more stories from Creepycast. There will be more, I'm pretty sure. Thank you so much for listening. Take care.